Good morning. Welcome to the Oasis. That was good for nine o'clock. That was good. Just a reminder, we've got 40 to 45 men at the retreat this weekend, so that's why we're a little sparse today around here. Hopefully, hopefully they're having a great time out at top of the world. Also, I wanted to remind you about a couple other things. This Thursday at 9.30 or 6.30, uh, Marsha Price is going to be sharing her slides and pictures from her and Toby's trip to Israel. And this is not just open to the women that normally meet on Thursday at 9.30 or 6.30. This is open to anyone that wants to come and maybe even learn a little bit more about the Holy Land and the nation of Israel. It's going to be a, a presentation, but also informational as well. And also, another incentive for you being there is she's going to begin sharing some details about an upcoming trip to the Holy Land and to Israel that you may want to be a part of as well. So that's this Thursday, the 27th, at 9.30 and 6.30. Then, Wednesday, May the 10th, mark that evening on your calendar, 7 o'clock Wednesday, May the 10th. Nicole's going to be leading our church in a night of worship, and the whole hour is going to be devoted to worship. It's going to be a great evening. We've done that before and looking forward to that again. I've even had some folks from our church ask me, can we invite people? And I said, absolutely. So I know one gentleman's inviting a whole group to come that night and be a part. He says, they, they love to worship. I said, well, then you bring them. You, you get them here. So uh, again, a couple things to put on your calendar. Today we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus. And today we are in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 43. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 43. We're looking at sort of three different snapshots, if you will, in the ministry of Jesus here today. Jesus is going to be dealing with a young ruler. He's going to be dealing with his own 12 disciples. And then later on, he's going to be healing a blind beggar. And what we're going to see in each of these stories or vignettes from the life and ministry of Jesus is that Jesus wants us to receive something from him. In fact, leading into this passage of Scripture, let's not forget what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 17. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you receive, emphasize, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. We talked about that last week. What does it mean to be childlike? Not childish, but childlike. And Jesus says, you and I need to make sure that we are willing and able to receive what God wants to give us, what God wants to impart to us, what God wants to do in our lives. Are we ready and willing to receive? Think about that as we move through this passage today because in each of these cases, Jesus wants everyone that he encounters to receive something from him. Some do, some don't. 
The same thing may be true here today. Jesus wants everyone here to receive something from him today. And some may leave here having received it, embraced it, and others may not. So we first begin with this encounter with this ruler, this young, rich ruler. And he comes to Jesus in verse 18 and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit or possess eternal life? Now, I, I want to start with the idea that he comes up to Jesus and he calls him good because Jesus sort of snatches in on that. He says, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God. Now, Jesus is not denying that he's God, but Jesus is simply saying, do you realize what you're saying? There is no one inherently, truly, or completely good but God. So if you're calling me good, does that mean you're acknowledging me as God? Hope so. The man wants to possess and inherit eternal life. It was something that everyone in Jesus' day, for the most part, that was their desire. I, I want to know what I can be or what I can do to have eternal life. And let's not forget something. In the Bible, from God's perspective, eternal life isn't just a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. It is experiencing the highest quality of life that a human being can experience because you and I can possess eternal life even before we die and go to heaven. According to the Bible, according to Jesus, we can experience and have and possess eternal life right here and now. It's what Jesus calls the abundant life. Are you and I experiencing that quality of life? We know we're going to live forever. Everybody is. Once they die, there is still an eternity. It's just a matter of where we're all going to spend that eternity. So the question is not a quantity of life. The question is the quality of life. And am I experiencing the quality of life that God wants me to experience? Jesus points him to the commandments. He says, well, you know the commandments because that's where Jesus wants to point people. Do you know what the word of God is and what it says? And Jesus begins to give him a sampling of the commandments. And you'll see there in the passage that this rich young ruler responds this way. He says, well, I've wholeheartedly kept all of those since my youth. Which is interesting, isn't it? If he has been so good and he's kept all the commandments of God, then why does he still feel like something's lacking in his life? Why is he still coming to Jesus and saying, what must I do to inherit, possess eternal life? If he's done everything so well, then why isn't he fulfilled? Why isn't he satisfied? Why is he still having that ache, if you will, in his soul? By the way, I... I want to mention this at this point. It's one of the things that you can ask a Muslim or even a Mormon that they have very much difficulty answering. And that is, when do you know you've done enough? It's a question that they can't answer. 
They don't know in their faith or in their religion when they've done enough that they're good with God. They don't know. It's one of the beauties of our faith is that God makes it very clear. If you have faith in Jesus Christ and you have a relationship with him, then you possess eternal life. So even though this man says, I've done everything, he still knows there's something not right. So then Jesus says, well, I'll tell you. One thing you lack. One thing. You see, Jesus, he knows the pulse of our life. He knows the heartbeat of our life. He, he knows exactly where we're at. He knows what is it that's tripping us up or what is the main obstacle in our life. He can diagnose. He can get right to the heart of the situation. And he knows, because he's God, that the God of this young man is material possessions. He knows that. Now, he's not setting terms for salvation here. What Jesus is about to do is expose this young man's heart to him. So he says to the young man, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Because he knows that when it comes right down to it, God is not his treasure. The things of the world are his treasure. And if he's willing to part with them and make Jesus his greatest treasure, then he's on the right track. And let me say this at this point. This is the one thing that Jesus wants us to receive from him today is the truth that he is the greatest treasure we could ever have. That there's nothing or no one that is greater, more fulfilling, more satisfying, more wonderful than Jesus and having a personal relationship with him. And everything else then is secondary to that. Are we willing to receive that? Are we willing to say, yeah, he is. He's the greatest treasure of my life. Well, notice what the young man's reaction is. He's grieved. He's very sad. He, he's experiencing, I think, conviction, but he's also experiencing the, the, the reality in his own soul that if that's what it's going to take, I'm not there because I'm not willing to let go of my worldly, temporal, physical stuff that is my God. Because the Bible goes on to say he was extremely wealthy and he doesn't want to part with that because he thinks instead of Jesus, the one who's standing before him is his greatest treasure, he thinks that all the stuff that he possesses is his greatest treasure. He's not willing to listen to Jesus. He's not willing to receive what Jesus wants to impart to his life, which is a relationship with this young man that will fulfill and satisfy him. How sad, how tragic. And when Jesus notices this young man's reaction, he says, oh, how hard it is, how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? 
Not because God is against wealth and God is against riches, but simply again, just like this young man. So often, rich people and people who have so much of this world go, what do I need God for? As far as the world seems to tell me, I've got everything I need and more. I've got an abundance. I've got more than enough. What's adding God going to do? Because they see the temporal things as the great treasures and riches of their life rather than what Jesus is offering to them. And so Jesus makes this very famous statement. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Basically, it's impossible. And that's when those around him are saying, well, then who can be saved, Lord? And I love what Jesus says in verse 27. I want you to zero in on that. He says, well, what's impossible for mere mortals is possible with God. (laughs) God is able. You see, one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that salvation is always a miracle. If you're saved, it's a miracle that God has done in your life. I'm a walking miracle because I'm saved. And it wasn't anything that I could do. It's impossible for human beings to be saved, but it's very possible for God. Are you and I willing to receive that? That truth? That not only is Jesus our greatest treasure, but that with God, all things are possible. That God is able. When I'm not able, God is more than enough. He is able, you see. Well, don't you love Peter for so many reasons? Peter's been listening to this conversation. And he, he understood what Jesus said when he asked the young man, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then, you know, you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So Peter turns to Jesus, we've left everything. <laughs> By the way, we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you realize that what Peter says there is the essence of what discipleship is really all about? That I'm willing to leave everything else behind in order to pursue and follow Jesus Christ. That that's because he's the greatest treasure, you see. And that's what Peter said, we've all done. We've left our families We've left our fortunes, we've left our jobs, we've left everything to follow you. And so Jesus makes this statement, and he wants Peter and those that were following him at that time, and he wants us to receive what he's saying. Because if we don't, then we're never going to prioritize Jesus and spiritual things in our life. The worldly, temporal, physical things that were the hang-up of this young ruler will become our hang-up as well. Because here's what Jesus says. He says, Peter, whatever you have sacrificed for me, whatever you feel you've left behind, whether it's family and fortune and jobs or anything else, he says, you will receive from me so much more in this life and in the life of eternity to come. Do we believe that? Do we receive that? Or do somehow we think that I've sacrificed too much. It it costs me too much to follow Jesus. 
If I'm not willing to embrace that I cannot outgive God, that God will always be way more generous to me than I ever could be sacrificially to him, that, that whatever I say I'm giving up, he's going to pour into my life way more than that in compensation and, re and reward. He's going to bless me way more than I could ever sacrifice or whatever it would cost me. It, it, do I embrace that? Do I receive that, you see? Otherwise, I'm always going to hold on to the things of this world and to temporal things more so than I'm going to be willing to embrace the things of God when God may ask me to let go of those things and give them up to follow him and to pursue his kingdom. So there's a lot going on here, right? In verses 18 through 30. But then I want you to move with me to verses 31 through 34. At this point, the Bible says Jesus took just the 12 aside. He wanted to have a holy huddle with his 12 disciples. So again, he's now not directing these words to a larger audience. He's not ministering or interacting with this young man anymore. We don't know. It's sort of just, we're left hanging there. We don't know how this young man eventually responds to Jesus. We don't know whether he ever comes to Jesus and lets go of his worldly wealth or not. But what we do know is this. Jesus wanted him to receive him because he's the greatest treasure. Jesus wanted him to receive the truth that with God, all things are possible. God is able to do things that we mere mortals could never accomplish. And he wanted this young man to receive that whatever he felt he was going to sacrifice or whatever following Jesus was going to cost him, he would receive so much more in return from God than he could ever give up for God. But then Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, fellas, we're going up to Jerusalem. And when we get there, everything that was written about the Son of Man will be accomplished or fulfilled. Everything, not one thing, will be unfulfilled. Now, a couple of things that that means. God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. If God predicts something's going to happen, it's going to happen. God finishes what he starts. Are we willing to receive that? and build our lives on the word of God that is sure and certain on his promises because Jesus said, everything about me that was written in the Old Testament will be fulfilled when we get to Jerusalem. By the way, an interesting fact. Maybe you've never heard this before. From the time Jesus was born or even the events surrounding his birth through the time that he died, there were 48 specific prophecies made about him in the Old Testament. 48 from the time he was born to the time he died. And every last one of those 48 was fulfilled specifically in him. Do you know what the chances or the odds of that happening are? Let me tell you. One in 81 trillion. That one person 
would have all 48 of those prophecies literally fulfilled in them. One in 80. You tell me that the word of God is not God's word? <laughs> that that Bible is just a book? That God and what he says does not come true exactly as he said? And then notice Jesus goes on and gives his disciples a sampling of some of these prophecies. He says, well, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the Gentiles from the Jews. He says he's going to be mistreated. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be flogged or scourged severely. And he's going to be killed. But then notice what he said. But on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. Death cannot hold Jesus, as we just sung about. Did Jesus say something there that even you and I today can't understand? No. And yet notice what verse 34 says. None of the disciples understood what Jesus said. It was hidden from them. They didn't grasp it. Now, what's this mean? Does this mean that the disciples were dumb? No. Does this mean that they were intellectually incapable of understanding the words of Jesus? Absolutely not. Simple. A child could understand what Jesus just said. Then what's the meaning of verse 34? Well, it points again to a choice that these disciples we're making a choice that you and I can make. They basically refused to accept. It was willful. They refused to accept, or should we say it today this way, they refused to receive the truth that Jesus was sharing with them. And because they refused to receive it, they didn't get it. Not because they couldn't comprehend it or understand it from an intellectual point of view, from a human point of view. It's that they just were not willing to accept the fact that their Jesus was going to die. They were expecting when they got to Jerusalem, totally anticipating him to have a coronation, not hang on a cross. They expected him to set up his kingdom here and now. Not to go through all that suffering. You see, they, and so because they did not think that what Jesus was saying applied to them, applied to this time, or was something that was truly going to happen, total block. And I think about, this is important for you and I, because this tells us that there can be times where God wants to speak to us. He wants to share with us truth that may be hard for us to hear, but that we've got to get to a place where we trust him, that his ways are higher than our ways, and that even if he's sharing, this is what I have for you, or this is the experience I want you to go through with me, and if we're not willing to say, that's for me, then what he's trying to help us with and what he's trying to do, we won't be able to benefit from it or profit from it because we're not willing to accept it or receive it. Just like many of us may sit in a service like this and we may go, well, what the pastor's talking about today doesn't apply to me. 
So guess what? Goes right by us. See, if, if we think that when God is speaking to us, it doesn't apply to me or it doesn't apply to my life situation or whatever, then just like the disciples, it can go right by us and we miss it because we're not ready and willing to receive what God has for us. That's tragic because what Jesus is trying to get them to see is, look, I know it's going to be bad, but I want to give you the hope that I'm going to conquer death and that this is actually going to turn out for everybody's good. Me dying on the cross means salvation for anybody who places their faith on, in me. So don't look at all this as bad, but they could not get it ahead of time because they didn't think it applied. And because their minds were so locked down that God had to work in a certain way and that they put God in this box and if God wasn't working in the box that they had created for him, then it just wasn't going to work. And many times I feel like that's where you and I are with God. We put God in certain boxes and say, God, you've got to deal with me this way. You've got to deal with this situation this way. You've got to speak to me this way. And God can do anything he wants to do because with God all things are possible and many times he's trying to get us to see something that can truly benefit and profit us, but we're like the disciples, we're not there yet. We're not ready to receive yet the truth that God wants to impart to us. And so once again, Jesus kept going, but the disciples in some ways, were sort of left behind. The hope that he wanted to fill their lives with, they weren't ready for it because it didn't apply to them. It didn't apply to Jesus. So we're just closing our, you know, like a little, nah, I'm not going to hear this. Uh, it's bad news. I, I don't want to hear this bad news. So we close our ears. Well, fortunately, let's move on. In verse 35, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's approaching Jericho. You and I know the city of Jericho very well. the famous biblical city. And in that city, there's this blind man who's begging. And he hears this commotion because there's many people following Jesus at this point. So the blind man, obviously, he can't see what's going on. He cries out, well, what's happening? And someone from the crowd says, Jesus, the Nazarene, is passing by. Can you imagine? This blind man realized very quickly he had a small and very short window of opportunity here. Jesus wasn't going to be passing by maybe ever again. Maybe this would be the only time that he would be able to have some kind of interaction with Jesus. You and I need to treat Jesus that way. That as Nicole prayed in her prayer, when we sense the presence of God is with us and when we sense that Jesus is passing through or passing by, we need to seize those opportunities. Because he may not pass by this way just like that again. We can't take for granted those manifestations of his presence. 
And so the blind man cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows. He believes who Jesus is. By calling him the son of David, he's basically acknowledging, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah that was predicted, that you are David's Lord and David's son, if you will. Notice the reaction of those in front of him. I love this part of the story. They scolded this man. They tried to get him to shut up and be quiet and notice his response. He just shouted out even more. Opposition only inspired him to worship God and to raise God's voice even more. I love that. You know why I love that? Because the world tries to shut us up. The world tries to keep us from praising our Lord and worshiping our Lord and talking about our Lord. And many times we as Christians can be very easily intimidated. Oh, you want me to shut up? You want me to stop talking about Jesus? Fine. No, not this man. You're not going to tell me to shut up. He's Jesus, and he's passing by, and I may not get this opportunity ever again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And notice something. I want you to see this. The first time the man yelled out at Jesus, Jesus didn't stop, did he? It was only when Jesus saw that this man would not be deterred by opposition or obstacles, the Bible says Jesus stood still in his tracks. You know what made Jesus stop? Not the first time this man yelled out at Jesus. It was the time that Jesus saw that this man would not be deterred by opposition and obstacles. We must not be deterred by opposition and obstacles in our life. There's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be obstacles. If, if for no other reason, the devil, our spiritual enemy, will always be putting up opposition and obstacles in our path. If we are so easily deterred by opposition and obstacles, we will never follow Jesus like a disciple should. We got to just go, okay, there's another obstacle. I'm hopping over it. I'm going through it. I'm not going to let this thing or this person or this situation or this circumstances keep me. I'm going to keep on moving forward no matter what. See, following Jesus isn't having God remove all the obstacles and opposition from our path. That's not the kind of life God wants to build into his disciples. He wants us to be strong enough in him that whatever opposition and obstacles fall our way, that we with him just plow right through them. And then after he stopped, he ordered for the blind man to be brought to him. And then notice what Jesus does. He asks him a question. What do you want me to do for you? That's actually the title of today's message. Because <laughs> that's one of the, to me, it's one of the greatest things Jesus ever said that's recorded in scripture. For many reasons. All of them we can't get into today. What do you want me to do for you? Here's a nobody, as far as the world's concerned. Here's a blind beggar in Jericho. Who's he? Somebody that the Lord of glory was willing to stop and ask, what do you want me to do for you? And this, listen, 
This very wonderful and simple question, God hasn't stopped asking. He's asking you and me that same question today. Are we willing to receive that? What is it that you want me to do for you? So let me ask you today. If Jesus is asking you that question, what would your answer be? Here he is. With him, all things are possible. There is nothing too hard for him. God is able. And based upon that, if we're willing to receive that and that he's our greatest treasure, here he is standing before all of us today saying, so what do you want me to do? What would your answer be? Something to think about. If you could ask the Lord to do one thing for you, what would it be? Obviously, you know what this man says? Lord, I want to see again. Which, by the way, that then tells us a little something into his story, doesn't it? It means that at one time, he could see. At one time, maybe as a child or whatever, he, and at some point along the way, he lost his sight. And the one thing that this man wants more than anything else is to be able to see again. And so Jesus says, receive your sight. Receive. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. See, Jesus is saying, it is your belief in me that was the means through which your healing came. Jesus wants to give us something today. Are we willing to receive it? And even the faith that you and I need to receive things that God wants to give us, even that is a gift from God. So maybe for some of us today, the thing that we want more than anything from Jesus is Jesus. Just give me the faith to believe in you. Doesn't have to, again, be lots of faith, big faith, but just let me make the object of my faith you. Let me believe in you to such a degree that I can receive what you want to give me. Because if I do not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, I'll never enter it. If I don't learn to receive the things that God wants to give me from a little child, even throughout my Christian life, I won't receive them. And immediately, the Bible says, the man received his sight. And I love this. Notice what he did next. He followed him, and he praised him. This blind beggar became a disciple and a worshiper right away. A disciple and a worshiper. And then the Bible says that, man, everybody around there started praising God. Like, this has been an amazing day. This blind beggar that we've seen beg at the gate of Jericho all these years, as Jesus was passing by, these two men had an encounter. 
And this man's faith in Jesus opened up the door for him to be able to receive what Jesus wanted to do for him and in him and through him. And Jesus wants to do the same thing with each of us today. I hope you believe that. I hope you are willing to receive that today. Because Jesus wants to give all of us something here to leave with today. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a truth. Maybe it's hope or peace or joy. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. Just like with that ruler that Jesus met, Jesus has the pulse of our life. He knows what's that one thing that we need more than anything else right now. He knows. He wants us to know it as well. And he wants us to have the faith like that blind man to be able to ask him for it. Jesus, you want to do something for me? This is what I want. This is what I need. And then to have the faith, the belief in him to be able to receive it. God wants to put something into our hands today. God wants to place something into our heart and mind and life today. Will we be like the blind man and receive it? Or will we be like the young ruler and not surrender and reject it? That's the question before us today. But I hope you will leave here today with that question gnawing at you. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus was willing to do this for a blind beggar in a place like Jericho, then Jesus is willing to ask the same question to you and to me today. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. As they're coming, I, I hope that our faith in our God is strong today. Because I believe that God wants to bring miracles and healing and truth and all kinds of stuff into our lives today if we are willing to receive it. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, may we believe in your Son. May we trust your son. May we believe, God, that with us mere mortals, things are impossible. But with you, the great God that we've sung about and worshiped to today, there's nothing too hard or too difficult for you. All things are possible for God. Lord, you are able, more than able. And you want to do something 
for us today. You want to do something in us today. You may want to do something through us today. Give us the faith, God, to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.